0: I'm Alex Wong and the Wong Takes start now. It's Tuesday and you know what that means. It's time for the Wong Takes. It's April 10th, 2018. I can't believe it's already April. I feel like I say that every other week. Um, I mean, the sports world is coming to a head right now. Baseball is underway. It's been underway for a week. Our baseball spreadsheet and the graphs that are on it are starting to look like actual graphs that like have some significance, so that's pretty cool. Uh, the NHL playoffs are about to get underway. Uh, we haven't talked about hockey much. I'm not a humongous hockey fan. I will know enough to answer some questions if you ask me them. Uh, the NBA playoffs uh, are about to uh, end or about to start. Sorry, I think that's this Saturday. So excited. Um, I might have an NBA playoff preview actually probably not for this episode but maybe for a future episode uh once they do get started we'll talk about them of course and plus a uh, mass or I mean sorry uh golf uh major season is underway that's our lead topic for the day so so much going on in the world of sports and that is of course great for the Wong Takes so like I said let's get on with our lead story the Masters uh, there was a ton of hype coming into this golf tournament about uh, just a bunch of things. And I think even though the main attraction, at least for the casual fan of this tournament, I, th- I, I think I'm a little bit more than the casual fan, but at the end of the day, I, I the, f- the first and second rounds I would not have paid as close attention to had not Tiger Woods been in it. So I think it lived up to the hype uh, just as a tournament as a whole. And... The tension that was in the final Sunday was not the largest that we've seen in recent years, but it was still a phenomenal tournament. Uh, let's 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 first pay our uh, let's first show recognize the champion that won. He may not have been the biggest story coming into the week, but uh, the champion was Patrick Reed, an interesting figure. that We'll talk a little bit more about. Uh, he had a chaotic final Sunday, ben- like beneath his first-place perch. Uh, people were rising and falling. Rory McIlroy did not have a good Sunday. Um, but some other people did. And we're going to talk about them. But first, Patrick Reed, man. Uh, he kept his composure while everyone else was ebbing and flowing. He didn't have any bogeys after 11. I think he had two or three, bo- only two or three bogeys in the final round. And he never gave up the lead all day. He was tied with Jordan Spieth once at a point. But he never gave up the lead, and as, as a result, he never had a chance to fall below first. Um, they kept saying on the broadcast that he doesn't really watch the scoreboard, and I think that was good for him because some crazy stuff was happening on the scoreboard. Jordan Spieth was right on his tail after making a humongous comeback, shooting a 64 on Sunday, which is an 8-under, which was remarkable. And he actually had uh, that 8-under. or He was actually sh- aiming for a 9-under uh, at one point. It was 9-under on the day, but he bogeyed the last hole. 9-under would have tied the course record for a round. Um, And Patrick Reed, I think he was able to do this because he really wasn't too aggressive all day. He wasn't making crazy iron shots or uh, long putts. He wasn't letting them go too far past the hole. And he he hit when he needed to, and that's all you needed to do with the position he had put himself in after Saturday. Now, as far as golf goes... Uh, Patrick Reed is an interesting guy from the perspective of a person who doesn't watch golf much or a person who follows every PGA Tour event. Uh, He's really a polarizing figure. I mean, I know people who say they hate Patrick Reed. I personally uh, am a fan. I, I like what he does. He doesn't, doesn't do anything too egregious, but he does have a controversial past. Uh, He was actually, he went to the University of Georgia at first and was on their golf team, but he was actually kicked off of the team for still kind of undisclosed reasons. And he ended up transferring to Augusta State, which, interestingly enough, is, you know, where the Masters are. The Masters are in Augusta, Georgia. He went to Augusta State University. Uh, so it's kind of his home, home course, and uh, people were talking about that in the lead-up to Sunday. Um, now, part of the reason for why he ended up leaving University of Georgia may have been due to his brash and emotional nature, which is something that you usually don't really see in golf a uh, famous one of the famous more famous golf movies Happy Gilmore was a comedy based off of this golfer who acts as a foil to the rest of the golfing world where he's just yells all the time he cusses and uh and things like that where you don't normally see that in golf. Oh uh, sorry for that right there. Uh so Patrick Reed marks a difference from that and I think that's interesting uh for all of us. And golf world has liberalized a little bit recently but it's still kind of known as the kind of Uh, stoic one Uh, but sometimes Patrick Reed's antics can make for great moments like in 2016 he had a very memorable match with Roy McIlroy in the Ryder Cup and that won me over personally where the guy's just going back and forth of course the Ryder Cup is a different atmosphere from like the Masters or uh, British Open but it's it's something that that I saw that's different and I liked it and he didn't really have any issues with like during the Masters, he knows when to compose himself at these big stages, and I think that separates his fun from, like, a more harmful kind of fun. Uh, And plus, I think Patrick Reed is an interesting story, because golf stars are getting younger and younger and younger. Jordan Spieth is, like, he really came onto the scene when he was, like, in his early 20s. Guys like Justin Thomas are still young, too. And... Reed is still relatively young at the age of 27. I mean, guys like Gary Player, who played until their, their 70s, or Tiger Woods, who's in his uh, high 30s, Mickelson, the same deal. Um, Patrick Reed is still part of the young crop, and he has plenty of years ahead of him to do damage. Uh, and I thought an interesting tidbit at the end of the match, when he made the final putt, one of the broadcasters, Nick Faldo, legendary Nick Faldo, because Patrick Reed had said he was an Imagine Dragons fan, and so Nick Faldo said at the end of the broadcast, welcome to the new age, to the new age, of course, quitting one of their songs. And I think that does kind of signify what these last few years have been. We're in the transition from uh, that, the tiger age now, to the younger, more talented, or uh, more diverse crop, like Jordan Speed, Dustin Johnson, uh, Patrick Reed, uh, and then you have some indie guys like Sergio Garcia, who kind of breaks the mold a little bit. But nonetheless, it's an interesting period for golf. I'd like to, of course, shout out other stars who continued to compete uh, despite Reed's wonderful play. Jordan Spieth, as I talked about earlier. And also Ricky Fowler, who ended up being Reed's biggest threat down the stretch. He finished at 14 under one stroke back of the leader. And I think R- Ricky Fowler has to win a major eventually. I mean, I don't follow him too closely, but I see that he can compose himself, and he is a phenomenal golfer and he will eventually win a major. Now, the big story from the Masters coming in was none other than Tiger Woods, who played in his first Masters since 2015, and I believe his first major also since 2015. Um, He came to, like, when when you were coming in, people were saying, like, Tiger Woods, is he one of the betting favorites in this tournament? Is he going to actually be able to compete. There was, there was just a wide range of what people expected from him. And I think the high end of that, they were crazy unfair expectations. I mean, Tiger had, pe- people were saying he was going to win this thing. Tiger played well in previous tournaments, but he's, at the end of the day, he's still below 100th in the world. He's made a big leap from like 600th or something where he was, but he's still not in his tip top. He can't compete against these guys, at least not right now and as a result these they had ridiculous expectations and you saw that on the course i mean he showed moments of brilliance at times where he had i think on the back 9 on sunday at one point he was 4 under through like five holes or something like that but he struggled with inconsistent play all weekend um beside aside from that final round he couldn't really put together a string of like good birdies and 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 throw in an eagle or two um And a big point of contention from what happened was he never was able to take advantage of the holes you should take advantage of and hit birdies consistently, which are the par fives. Uh, In the first three rounds, he went just one under on par fives. And I think in the first two rounds, he went uh, shot even par. And if you want to win the Masters, that's something you cannot afford to do. Um, Plus, there were just some moments where when you thought he had some momentum, he would hit a ball beyond the green into the trees. Uh, or he would miss a fairway by, like, 40 yards and have to hit one from, like, the other side of the course. So it's if you if you can't make that up with put, with brilliant putting, which he did not have, he had mild to some part putting, uh, you're not going to be able to put yourself in the position to win on Sunday or even going into the weekend at all. Um, but there was a bright spot for him, which was that final round. He ended up going... Like I said, the par fives, he ended up going five under on the par fives in his last round with three birdies and then an eagle on 15, uh, which was something nice to see him convert one over the course of the tournament. And in the final round, he did make five total birdies, which is nothing to be ashamed of. And he, what what sucks is that he came in on the day of four over, he came really close to ending the tournament even par. He was even par going into the 18th hole, but he ended with a bogey on 18, uh, unfortunately uh, he had a putt to save par, but he wasn't able to hit it. And he ended up one over on the tournament and then three under on the round. And that's a taste of what he could have done. Because, I mean, if he's capable of going three under, four under in a round, even when he does hit, make some bogeys, uh, and you do that every single day, you are able to compete in the Masters. Uh, and plus, Tiger believes, himself believes, and I believe him, is on the tape, but he could—he definitely could have scored in the mid-60s, putting him at like 5 or 6 under. Uh, he just hit a few more putts. And so he is able to compete at this level, but he isn't able to execute it the way that some of these other pros who have been on the tour for uh, years recently, uh, as opposed to him, are able to do. So I think all in all for Tiger, this was a successful weekend. Uh, it shouldn't go understated that he did make it through the entire tournament, Uh, In a couple of ways. I mean, physically, he didn't get injured. His back didn't flare up. Uh, He didn't see any major pains. We never saw him grimacing or wincing. We just saw him playing golf. And that's something he really wants to get back to. Also, he made the cut. Uh, He barely made the cut at 4-over, but he did make the cut. And also, good thing for Tiger is we never really saw him, like, fully collapse. Not physically, but, like, on the leaderboard. Like, he never had a stretch where he made like five bogeys in a row or something like that, he was able to kind of hold his own throughout the tournament and finish one over, which I think is something that, at the end of the day, we didn't know was going to happen. So that's great. And plus, Tiger's going to have to get back to refining his game if he wants to compete in these majors again. It's going to be a rough go when you're out for so long. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, it's a good, good tournament for Tiger and a good Masters overall. Next topic for the day is something that happened uh, quite a while ago, actually, but we're going to talk about it now, and that's Kyrie Irving's injury. Uh, If you didn't know Kyrie Irving, he's been out for a little while. He had left knee surgery, and as a result of that, according to Adrian Woznarowski, of course, of ESPN, uh, Kyrie is now out for the entire playoffs. There is no chance, from what I've heard, of him coming back uh, for the Celtics. And that really sucks on multiple reasons. Number one, I mean, Kyrie, what happened, he came to Boston to compete with Cleveland to win a championship. And just him not being able to have that opportunity to be able to probably end up facing his former team in uh, the second round if the Cavs can end up getting back the third seed, uh, or in the conference finals if they don't. Uh, That's really unfortunate for Kyrie. Uh, and also similarly for Gordon Hayward, who had a season-ending injury uh, early on in the year as well. Um, on the court, Kyrie is... losing Kyrie is a huge hit to the team. Uh, he, there is a significant drop-off from him. It's not like they have point guards lined up. Terry Rozier is a quality player, um, but he hasn't had the, playoff exp- or the uh, high-stakes experience, uh, of course, as Kyrie. Not many people have playing in all the finals that he has with LeBron. Um, and that's going to be tough for the Celtics. Plus, Kyrie draws so much attention on the court. It's, he's like a magnet, and when you lose that magnet, it allows everyone else to kind of spread out more. Uh, that's something that's similar with any star player, but particularly Kyrie, who's such a wizard with the ball, uh, and he's so explosive. Um, and Kyrie's kind of how the Celtics can match up with anyone. I mean, it's, he's such a hard guard, person to guard. Um, that losing Kyrie is really unfortunate uh, for Boston. Now, getting through any part of the playoffs for the Celtics, now that Kyrie is out, is really not going to be a cakewalk. I mean, if you take a uh, quick look at the NBA standings, the Celtics are going to be uh, the first seed, or sorry, the second seed behind the Raptors. And so you look at their opponent, their possible opponent, and right now it's either the Heat or the Wizards. Uh, I mean, and very outside, possibly the Bucks. Uh You're going to, they, they're going to lose the guard matchup against the Wizards with John Wall and Bradley Beal. Uh, and that's not something you want to lose. And they can beat the Wizards inside with Horford uh, and the like. But it's still not going to be easy to match up against the Washington Wizards. They don't match up as well. Uh, the Miami Heat are always a feisty team to play. Um, and they're never going to be one to just back down, especially with Dwayne Wade back and all of the playoff experience that he has. Plus, if they end up playing the Bucks, uh who's going to match up with Giannis? Giannis is always a matchup issue, um, but you don't have the firepower to compete uh, as much with him. So it's going to be, I think they would, they're going to win their first round series, but it's going to take a lot more out of them than it would if Kyrie was still there. Plus, the second round matchup right now is looking like it, it's going to be either the Sixers or the Cavs who are fighting for the three seed. Um, and the Sixers, let's start with them. Uh, they have, I think it's a 14-game winning streak where they've won almost all of their games by double digits. Um, that's nothing to uh, scoff at, especially going into the playoffs where it's like it's almost like the NCAA tournament where you want to be hot. A seven-game series, the better team is more likely to win. But nonetheless, this is a hot Sixers team. And to see the Celtics multiple times is it's going to be tough for them to be stopped right now. Plus, they've been doing a lot of this without Joel Embiid, who is, of course, their best player. Uh, actually, well, uh, Ben Simmons is starting to make us question some of that. But Embiid, he's going to be back in the series, and he's going to bring—we talked last week about all the things that Joel Embiid brings to, um, brings to Philadelphia, but adding him to the mix against the Celtics team in the second round would be tough for them. Plus, the Sixers beat Cleveland. Nothing to, uh, or that's something to be mentioned. And then if they end up playing the Cavs in the second round, I mean, the Cavs have LeBron, and of course, LeBron knows uh, the Celtics so well after playing them so many times uh, in the past. And I think the Cavs would easily handle a beaten up Celtics team. I don't really think it'd be that much of a series. So the road is starting to clear up for the Cavs a little bit, and the Celtics are going to have trouble without Kyrie. Uh, plus the Raptors are still in the conference, so if they end up playing in the conference final, uh, they're gonna have trouble getting past a 60-win team, just straight up. Uh, so now the only good thing, good quote-unquote good thing that could come from this is without Gordon Hayward, the the Celtics were gonna struggle in the playoffs, um, and now with no Kyrie and no Gordon Hayward, that's just another excuse where if the Celtics end up having an embarrassing first-round exit, or they get blown out by the Cavs or the Sixers or the Raptors. Uh, in a higher round, they have an excuse. And it's, it's not going to be a total failure. They're not going to have to totally flip the team or meet a really super upset fan base because the Boston fans are really dedicated if they lose. Um, and the perception of the organization won't be as bad as if this were to happen with Kyrie there. So maybe this is the only bright spot that the Celtics can look at from this perspective. But nonetheless, the Kyrie injury is devastating. Uh, for the Boston Celtics. All right, third topic of the day is showtime. And no, I'm not referring to LeVar Ball's ill-fated attempt to hashtag showtime without a W because showtime with the Lakers was already taken and he wanted to brand his son's time in LA. I'm talking about the more deserving of the hashtag Showtime without a W, and that would be Shohei Ohtani, who uh, we talked about, actually, I think a few months ago, and we also talked about last week. uh, He has made a huge splash in the major leagues in the recent weeks with the Angels. Um, He's brought a media following with him. He's got everyone on board, including me, people who had doubted him after spring training, and reasonably so. Um, but he has proven everyone wrong, and it's been so fun to watch. Uh, since last week when we checked in with him, he's done a couple of things. One, he's hit home runs in he hit home runs in three consecutive games. These were games in between his starts because they don't want to wear out his armor or get him hurt or anything. Um, and he hit home runs, including one against Cy Young winner uh, last year, Corey Kluber, who's been one of the best pitchers in the game uh, on the Indians in recent years plus these home runs that he hit they were all at home and none of them were really cheapies well maybe the first one no not even Uh, it was a decent sized home run especially his third home run was demolished he hit it 449 feet uh which is very very far like stanton almost stanton like uh including two of those home runs to the opposite field so he has power uh these were center left center field and so he has power and he's not afraid to spray it to the other side of the field if he wants to. And that's a tool that you look for in what will be a star hitter. Um plus not only did he show up on the hitting side, but on the pitching side, uh the other day he threw six and a third six and one third perfect innings, so that's six innings and one out, allowing no base runners, mowing down every single hitter he faced, and ended up with seven. Total scoreless innings. Uh, wow, that's a start that you expect from a potential Cy Young winner. Um, and even though it was against the A's, we're not the best team in the league, to do that against a major league team is amazing. Uh, Otani, everyone, uh, his nature of being able to pitch and being able to hit draws obvious comparisons to Babe Ruth. And everyone's saying that, and I think he has the potential to be great. Um, most of those records that he broke over the last week with like uh, throwing and then hitting a home run and, and all this stuff, most of these were set by Babe Ruth. And that's the only precedent we have for Shohei Otani. And that alone marks how amazing his journey is. And the reason, I mean, Babe Ruth was the last one is because dual pitcher and hitters aren't made in the US like this anymore. Uh, everyone is specialized. Uh, pitchers can't really hit, hitters, of course, can't pitch. Um, and if Otani can be good at both of these things, I think he can be a successful player, even if one of those falls off. But from what he's shown so far, his talent is uh, is it's it's impossible to ignore. He's already captured the nation. He will continue to capture the nation and the world just from where he's from. And this is and we're starting to see why there was so much hype around him. If he can live up to the hype, which is something that not many people are really able to do, um, the he will ingratiate himself to the fans to the media, and that's what you need to do to be successful in American professional sports. Plus, um, his legacy can continue by setting a precedent. Uh, The modern Japanese surge, where did it start? I mean, it was led by Hideo Nomo, who was, sorry if I got that wrong, a pitcher for the Dodgers in the 90s, and of course, Ichiro Suzuki, who's coming toward the end of his career. He debuted in the early 2000s. And those guys have kind of inspired, I think... uh, Or not inspired, because Japanese baseball was already pretty big. um, But led people to really believe that a Japanese player can come over to the big leagues and have a smooth transition and be a legend in the game. Otani kind of seems to be the product of these guys and that movement. uh, Given how much that America really... Or the major leagues really bought into his story. Like, no one was really... Not many people... Um, before spring training, we're saying, like, he's not going to do anything. Uh, a lot of people believed in him. And I think it's a product of these older Japanese players is why uh, why we did that. And I think he can similarly set a precedent for future players, dual pitcher hitters coming over from Japan. And we might start to see a revolution in baseball. I mean, that might be overstating it a little bit. But if he does well, if other Japanese players do well, we're going to start to see these prospects... We're going to see a demand for these prospects in minor league camps, in college baseball, uh, which there already there are many people who can hit and pitch, um, especially in a large market like LA where you're going to draw a lot of attention um, and set a uh, be a role model for people coming out of there. Plus, I think part of the reason he chose to go to LA has to do with that market and what he can show to people in Japan and the United States um, about his potential and what he really can't do. Okay, I got a few quick shout-outs. Um baseball related. Andrew McCutcheon. Uh I went to a ball game on Saturday. It was by far the best game I've been to. 14 innings, Giants Dodgers, the best rivalry in baseball, in my opinion. He had six hits in seven uh play, or at bats. And that's including, that's his first six-hit night ever. Philly uniform, Giants uniform, or sorry, Pirates uniform, Giants uniform. I'm getting hit by myself. Uh, Any, he, he's never gotten six hits before. And then that's including a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 14th. When the Giants were down 5-4, hit, hit, home run, Giants walk off 7-5. Uh, just a crazy game and hopefully a sign of things to come for him and the Giants. Baseball. I could just write like poems about baseball. Baseball is one of the remarkable sports. I think just because the the tension, which was particularly exemplified in McCutcheon's at bat, uh, where he hit the walk off home run. Twelve pitches. He fouled off. I think eight of them, uh, or seven of them, and just every pitch, you're holding your breath. You're waiting for the ball to come, and then he fouls it off, and you exhale. And then tension builds up again. You exhale. And to do that so many times, and then have it pay off with a home run, uh, is a feeling that you can't really get in any other sports. And that's what baseball does. Another baseball shout out: the Philadelphia Phillies scored twenty runs in a win uh, against the Miami Marlins. I think they won twenty to one. That was one of the first one of the blowouts, first blowouts we've seen of this magnitude since like the Rangers beat the Orioles thirty to three, or was it the? I don't remember. Yeah, the Rangers beat the Orioles 30-3. to three. Uh, And this was actually more runs than they had scored in all of their previous games. So this was Game 7 for them. In six uh, games before that, they had scored less than 20 runs. And you're going to see this type of thing... Well, you're not going to really see it anymore. But this was a crazy opportunity for that to happen. Um, plus... Uh, an interesting tidbit I saw from Tim Kirkjian, who's the king of tidbits. Someone actually got a save. Uh, three out, a three out or three inning save in that game. If if as long as you pitch three full innings to close out the game, you can get a save, even if it's a 19 run game. Uh and for a team that's been this bad or bad for a long time, this is a good win for the Phillies. I think they're a promising club. Oh, this is a little bit of a disappointing quick take. Thursday night football color rush, alternate uniforms reportedly going away. This is a frivolous quick take. Uh, man. I mean, the uniforms apparently might not be going away. They might just not be exclusive to Thursday nights anymore. I would like to give a little diatribe in favor of the color rush uniforms. I think that even though it makes players look like Sharpies sometimes, the color rush uniforms are wonderful in exemplifying what the team represents. It allows you a clean palette with which to, uh... Express yourself. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just like the way they look. Personally, whenever I play with the 49ers on Madden, which I do sometimes, uh, I always use their color rush uniforms. When you when you put the, the black, all black, with the red numbers and the red, red trim, and then you play that game in the dark. I think they had a uh, Monday night game in week one a few years ago against the Vikings where they wore those uniforms. It just looks so nice. Um, and... It would be disappointing to see them. I hope they. Sh- I hope they stay. I hope we get to see them, in other, in other on other days. Uh, I think they are kind of part of an identity, even if the color is a little bit uh, unsightful or some may say ugly, quote unquote. But I think these uniforms should stay, and I will push that as much as I want to. All right. Thank you so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Don't forget, I said it last week, you can send in voicemails to The Wong Takes. I still haven't fully decided what I'm calling it yet. Voicemails or calling into the show or whatever. Record a voice memo on wherever you record voice memos. Email it to bit.ly slash, or sorry, thewongtakes at gmail.com, and you will be on the show. So, thank you. So much for listening to The long Takes. Uh, check out the podcast website, bit.ly slash takes patreon.com slash long takes at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It will download stuff automatically for you when new stuff comes out. Rate the podcast on iTunes. We always love when you rate it. Uh, and same thing on Google Play. Uh, leave reviews. If you want to leave a review, talk about what you like, what you don't like, etc. Email me what you like, what you don't like. Uh, do everything. You can do everything on the website. Send fan questions. Uh, Thank you so much, and I will see you next week.